Hello and welcome to the Ballad of the Seven Dice End of Campaign Q&A. I am here along with Jason, who played Draxir. And we have received quite a few questions. More questions than I thought we'd receive, honestly. Which is cool. We are here to record this, and it has been... Let's see, we recorded the finale a couple weeks before my birthday last year. So... One, two, three, four, five. It's it's been literally a year and a half since we recorded ballot stuff. How's it feel being back in the seat? It's uh, very nostalgic. I felt like we were going to almost roll dice again. <laughs> I know. I have dice right in front of me. A couple of pink ones that I was supposed to give away, and I accidentally give away uh, gave away a set that I really liked. Um, but the person was really happy when they received them, and <laughs> so now I have pink <laughs> dice. <laughs> Hell yeah. We're going to dive right on into these questions uh, and try to hopefully appease uh, all the listeners. We we ended on such a note with uh, saying goodbye to all the characters. And right off the hop, the first question that I received was, what was the reasoning to keep Kelsar alive? Would Brent have preferred Kelsar to have lived or died? I will say this, like outside a game, Brent would always message me like, oh yeah, I really want to get Kelsar killed. He's like, I really want him to have like this big, flashy death. And the closer we came to the finale, the more hesitant he got about it. And he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe. And uh, I think it was probably... Um, it, it was like when we were at... You remember the point where like everyone was rolling their death saving throws at the very end? And the Shining God blew up. And then when when Brent realized that it would just outright kill him, he sounded so bummed out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that kind of sucks ass, so I let him roll death saving throws. It makes sense. You get more attached to your character like as you go, and towards the end, he's probably like, well, Kalsor's got a lot going on now. Mm-hmm. He has a, a future, a hope. When Brent first uh, came up with the idea of Kalsar, he gave me... Essentially, he's like, here's this like tiefling. He was a paladin. It's a part of basically time cop order. He's like, I want him to think that he had a really horrible past, but it's all an illusion and he doesn't know what his past is. And that was the the concept for Kelsar uh, that we ended up running with. So he always wanted Kelsar to be a punching bag, uh, is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think the reason I kept him alive was uh, I just... I, I felt bad and I figured, well, it... In all fairness, I'll let the dice decide because I think like Draxir was on his his last one as well, and so was MZ. I think you you all rolled death saving throws, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a chance for for at least three of you who have lost your characters there, and, and everyone succeeded. Yeah, I I like the idea of just like giving Kelsor like the one last chance because, well, he was a little reckless with like that using his power move, you know, where he like depleted all his HP, but. At yeah. the end of the day, like, there's also ridiculous damage at that explosion at the end. <laughs> he kept not using his negative energy moves, and I kept telling him, I'm like, are you using negative or positive? And he's like, uh, positive. <laughs> All right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like with Bordon, like, I want to attack the Shining God <laughs> with radiant damage. All right, let's see here. So this one is for you. Is there anything you would have done differently with your character? Um, 
I guess like this is just like something I, it's kind of like me continuing to evolve as like D and D player. Mm-hmm. Um, I only ever played stoic characters like growing up, and then like even Draxir is definitely very stoic. Yeah, I would have liked him to be more expressive and dynamic. This is like a very much like let's get to the goal, let's do the stuff, let's just end this. You know, like that's Draxir in a nutshell so that's probably the biggest thing i would have changed had you done that would you like made him like open up more like uh talk more with like the party about things uh partly that and just partly like more general emotions for stuff i guess yeah yeah it would just been like more dialogue i I suppose he's definitely the more like calm and collected out of everyone Mm -hmm. although even in even in Rise, I sort of uh, put myself in a box a little bit. Like, her talk was supposed to be way more fun, and even he's like a little bit like, oh man, I gotta be kind of like a parent at times. <laughs> you should just go all out, they all do. Yeah, true. Check out Rise and you'll have to to your listeners. <laughs> Jason does a wonderful job as a plumerian bard. Uh, but yeah, so the other part of this is, is there anything you would have done differently as a GM? And I I realized like halfway through the game and by halfway that's like two years in <laughs> like I was like oh man I put too much of an emphasis on you need to hurry the world's ending everything's going to shit keep moving and I never gave enough downtime and I, I regret that because there's definitely moments where the party could have used it we did have some downtime with like holiday specials and that kind of thing, but like, I, I definitely wish I created more opportunity for it. But I, I made everything so dangerous that like everyone, rightfully so, became paranoid. <laughs> I mean, anytime you went yeah. shopping, I like blew up the store. <laughs> it was definitely like a on the run sort of situation. It didn't really seem like we were supposed to rest or do much of like that kind of stuff for very long. Yeah, yeah. That so that was definitely uh, one of my regrets. And I think it's that one of the things I struggle with as a GM. I I just keep like uh, putting emphasis on the main plot, like the main story, and I don't give enough downtime. It's a it's a balance, I suppose. Yeah. Here's one where they're going for the jugular. <laughs> Your campaign went for four years. It did. Our campaigns are usually shorter. Do you think? <laughs> Uh, it took too long? Uh, yes. I never planned for this to be a four-year campaign. In all fairness, we finished recording in three. But there was just so much story to tell. I wrote it as like this grand epic. I wrote out like adventures actually all the way up to level 20. I cut out a chunk of adventures. Some of it like, based on what the characters were doing. Others was based on time as well. I think overall, I guess like I joined later, so I'm a little bit biased. Uh, you mm. know, I wasn't there for like the first like year and a half, two years, kind of. It makes sense, though. I think the I think the length of time makes sense. Yeah. If it was a casual campaign, I'd say, well, what do I mean by casual? Like not not a show. Yeah. I I think yeah it should be shorter. Four years is a long time to keep getting people around a table. But the thing is, it's not even remotely like a long campaign compared to a bunch of others like there's some that started before us that we know of that are like friends of ballad 
and they're still going. <laughs> That's true. That's very, very true. And I mean, to be fair, we also would like skip a lot of recording days. Two people got married, myself and Robert, during the time that we we're doing this. There's vacations, people getting sick, people getting injured, and Berto's house flooded. Like, there were so many setbacks that uh, made it very hard to to stick to a normal recording time. And this also taught me the very important lesson. Dear listener, if you're ever recording a show, have a set schedule. Do not just haphazardly choose the days based on availability. Just choose the day and see who's available for that day. That does lead into the, <laughs> the next the next question. Uh, what tips would you give someone wanting to do a D&D podcast? Uh, Jason, what tips would you give someone? Oh, number one, well, I'm kind of stealing this from you because we talked about it earlier. Uh, make it about the fun. If it, mm-hmm. if you know, if you're not having fun running it, or like people aren't having fun playing it, it's not going to turn out well. That's a guarantee. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, the best podcasts you can always like tell that people are having fun playing the game, and that's what makes it entertaining. I I agree. You can hear when everyone's getting frustrated or they're having a bad time. There's one podcast I won't name where I was listening to them and you could hear like the DM was a bit of a dick and he was like actively working against his players and like he killed two people's animal companions and all this and this was like recorded and it was it was a little rough you could tell his players were like bitter towards him near the end but yeah I I definitely agree having fun is like the most important part of it because why are you doing it otherwise I would say, and uh, here's me coming in and crush your dreams, don't expect anything. Don't even expect uh, a lot of listens. Don't expect a lot of people to write to you about the show, anything like that. Because it is a flooded market. and Essentially, you have to be a little different. And not only that, uh, in the beginning, it is going to be slow, unless you get a lucky break, and that's awesome and uh, good for you. But... um for most people, it's it's very slow ramping up, but then you do find yourself like a, a solid core audience. I think we have about like 200 people listening to each episode within like a couple weeks of the episode being released, and there's more people who come by to listen afterwards. It's like you'll always you'll always build that audience as it goes along, but just like don't expect to like hit it off in the beginning because that's just going to make you sad when you when you don't see that happening. So do it because you're enjoying it. Have fun doing it. And uh, make sure your episodes are not two to three hours long. Yeah, definitely. As soon as I see like a long run time, I'm just like, do I even want to listen to something for this long? I was saying this to someone else. I was like, I will sit there and I will listen to like eight one hour episodes. No problem. You give me like two, three hour episodes and I just can't make it through them. It's rough. Yeah. What happened to Lobax? Well, a couple things. <laughs> the story itself, Lobax was following along with the Paladin Warlock mix. Oh, what was his name? That was our first guest, Austin. What was his character's name? Oh my goodness. Uh, check out our website, battle7dice.com. It's it's in the off to war chapter. I know that. See, also, listeners, when you record a podcast for f- three years and it takes four years to air it, 
It is hard to remember <laughs> certain things. I'm just, I'm completely drawing a blank. I can't put a name. Opus. Opus. I didn't even make it there. I just remembered. Uh, Opus was his name, and he worshipped, like, this this beast god. Uh, so Lobax was essentially just following along with them, and they were going to, um, they were going to go blow up a, a city. And what happened with that is I was working with Austin on, like, some story for Opus, and Austin kind of disappeared uh, off the internet for a while. They had a falling out with their their D&D group, and then I just sort of lost touch with them, and so we never kind of hit back on what was going on with Opus. But essentially, uh, I'd say Lobax probably made his way to Silendia, uh, probably went back to his cave because he had a union contract, so... Yeah, I just went back there to go stand guard duty, and which means that he would have survived the, the whole finale because Silindia is essentially where Geldspar is. So, Lobax is uh, immortal, just living in a <laughs> living in this, maybe even still guarding that cave. Who knows? So there was a, a Waterdeep special that we had. I don't know if you heard it, Jason. Uh, I might not have listened to it yet. We had a bunch of guests go to Waterdeep, and one of them was like Detective Bill. Um, and there was uh, there's Dick Dynamite from the Backwater Bastards, and Ed from Dungeon Manager. He was also in that special, and essentially they went. That was when you you sent Detective Bill to Waterdeep to go investigate it, while you went off to the very normal play that I had set up. Right, right. Uh, and they found out that uh, the Alitha that MZ was like originally hunting as like the beginning part of his story. Uh, they were there in Waterdeep and they are making these illithid abominations. And so, uh, the question is, what happened to those illithid in Waterdeep? Well, the Church of the Shining God. Uh, they won. They they took over Waterdeep. They completely claimed it as their own. So the illithid, as a result, would have lost. And so that's, that's the sad end for those terrible brain-eating people. Uh, but yeah, they, they would have eventually have been overtaken by the the might of the Shining God because they had a lot of people, a lot of followers. When you feed people, you make education free, you kill the rich, you have a lot of people to join you. Jason, this one's for your character. How do you feel about the ending for Drexir? I was actually really happy with the ending for the most part. I mean, I mean... It's kind of hard to go wrong when you get, like, basically, like, your three wishes, right? You know, you get to do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but it was, like, a good opportunity to just kind of show, like... I think everyone kind of showed their values at the end. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's almost exactly what the ending was to me. Like, Ronnie was just did, like, some really selfish thing. Bordon wanted to become a god. Kalsor mm-hmm. uh, wanted to find, like, other Nephilim. Like, like family and community. Yeah, like, a, like sort of like a, yeah somewhere he belongs MZ just wanted to live out the rest of his life normally and then Drax here wanted to kind of like save his family and sort of go work do the whole work grind for Nostradamus and just live the best life he can and I think that it's kind of like the common theme for everyone and I think that's it's kind of like a satisfying thing it's like you sort of fulfilled like your like the arc of your life Mm-hmm. I feel like it's always kind of nice when you get to do something like that, so I'm pretty happy about it. I never thought about it in that that respect, that it, it was like the the core value of each character really shone in that, that moment. I, I just kind of thought about it like probably about like 
an hour or two ago, really, to be honest. But <laughs> I was thinking about the ending, and I was like, everyone just kind of fulfilled, like, this very clear arc for the life of their character, and it was just, like, exactly how they probably wanted their lives to go. Yeah, yeah, they got to live that, that, that perfect outcome. Yeah, like, it made sense that Bordon <laughs> would want godly as it. He told everyone <laughs> that he was a prince. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very on-brand. Ronnie's uh, one that oh my god I remember we all laughed so hard at that that it caught me off guard because <laughs> I figured he would just be like oh I want to be like super famous or like something like that because that was Ronnie's goal and <laughs> he he caught me off guard with that though because he just didn't want to go on any more adventures <laughs> to such a degree MC's ending though I feel was like the uh, and we were talking about this a little earlier, but it was like the the perfect wrap up for the story. Like it was, it kind of just it gave a nice like closing the book sort of feel. Of yeah. Like all right, everyone's off doing their own thing, and we finally say goodbye. Yeah, I really, I actually really liked that when I re-listened to the finale, and I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of like the goodbye my friend kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, the song I used for the end for like going through everyone's saying goodbye is the same song I used for the end of the very first episode when Bordon died. I figured it was a it was a fun callback that only I would know until I forced everyone else to know about <laughs> it. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. So this one is for Ronnie, but Evan uh, unfortunately isn't here. But the question was, Ronnie's character was super interesting throughout. That's fair. Uh, did you ever second guess his motives when it seemed like you were at odds with the rest of the party? Um, I, I wonder if this is like a GM question, the first part. Because the second part is, will you play uh, another campaign and how might your next character be different? I think there's two possible meanings to that question. I think one of them is, uh, like, did Evan like ever like second guess himself playing Ronnie like oh, do you I still see. want to go against the party that to this extent yeah I think that's that could be one interpretation of that so when I talk to Evan we're probably gonna pick up cat screaming in this uh there's no avoiding it but uh when I talk to Evan his biggest thing with Ronnie is he said I don't want Ronnie to be a hero up until the very end I don't want Ronnie to be a very good guy I don't want him to be like you know, redeemed. I want him just to be like, he's just a guy and he's kind of shitty. And so I think Evan played Ronnie exactly how he intended to play Ronnie. There was some friction, especially around that Arkham uh, arc. We, we had to actually put in some house rules uh, for <laughs> PvP and stuff where it had to be two consenting parties because I don't think Evan was super stoked about that uh, when it was happening. But I think, yeah, I think Evan honestly played his character exactly how he wanted to. And if Evan did play in another game, I feel like he would play something maybe not the same, but definitely like, definitely goofy. That seemed to be like his, his go-to. He liked playing uh, like goofy characters. Yeah, he's very good at like that certain brand of comedy where he just either goes like a little bit, like it's like subtly over the top, if that makes sense. Yeah, like a slightly off... Uh, is it like conversation that you'll have with him like his character will just be like he'll say normal things but he'll just put like a bit of a weird tone to it or like you know just weird circumstance 
Are any of the cast returning for Campaign 2? No, the next campaign we have, Escaping Carcosa, actually has a very, very large cast. Larger than I was expecting when I was ending this campaign, but I came up with a cool idea. Uh, but, if you ever check out Rise of Nirlathotep on Twitch, Tuesday, 6.30pm CST, we have Jason joining us as Kratok. Yeah, the simply superb Plumerian bard. Yeah, we, we have our... Essentially, when we, we ended the campaign, a little inside, it was very hard to get people together because everyone's lives were just busy, I think. So it was a little hard in that regard. So I just decided to try out like a new cast and see how it was going. Like, we had already Jason and Rise, and uh, we had like a, a new cast for that as well. So I worked with another GM who you'll be meeting soon, Michaela, and... We created two different groups for our, our next campaign, so it'll be two ongoing stories that that work together. Uh, I'll explain that later, I'm sure. Uh, I hope, so that everyone knows what's going on. But yeah, so um, it'll be a brand new cast for the, the second podcast campaign. There he is. <laughs> what systems would you play aside from D&D? Is there any systems that you wanted to try out, Jason? I'm not really one of those people that like researches a lot of different stuff and it's like, oh yeah, I want to try this. Um, yeah. I would say though, like we've dabbled in other stuff, like, like for sure. I th who did you come up with the just doctor work thing? Yeah, I made that up. Honestly, just something that's like very like loose, but still kind of has like a point to it is like a lot of fun. So I really like the just doctor work system. Mm -hmm. We've done. We've played Call of Cthulhu. Uh, we've played, well, now going into Rise, a little bit of uh, Petticoats and Proposals spinoff. Mm -hmm. I find, like, if you're doing it right, the system's, like, almost transparent to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. I, I was thinking about, like, what system to do when I was, you know, like, the next campaign for this. Uh, I was racking my brain. I'm like, what do I want to use? Because, like, there's... You know, it has to be something that people are aware of, so they'll search it up and want to listen to it. So it can't be like some just out of nowhere game. But at the same time, I want—I did want to do something a bit different. Uh, we went with Call of Cthulhu and Pathfinder for our next campaign. So those are like the two games going. But a game I really... I guess there's two games I really want to play. There's um, Monster of the Week, which is as it sounds. There's like... You know, each arc is a brand new weird cryptid monster that like hunters are trying to hunt and it's kind of easy for the hunters to die. Um, I really want to try that out, even if it's just like a one shot or something like that, or, like a, a small story. But there's this one, what's it called? Heart City. Yeah. So it's called Heart the City Beneath. And the art is rad as hell. It's the, I think it's the same artist who did like the Darkest Dungeons, uh, like artwork. And it's essentially, there is this tower, kind of like how we had the Lost Tower of Ambrosia when we were doing those specials. Um, check that out on YouTube. Uh, but uh, essentially, like, in this story, there's a tower where all these elves are living in, like, this this perfect society, and, and no one can escape the tower. Like, everyone just lives in it. I'm pretty sure, like, the outside's, like, a wasteland. And underneath the tower is called the city. And so, like, there's this, this big slum city. And underneath that is essentially 
Think of it, it's kind of like the Far Realms, like an ever-changing, ever-morphing, like, cave system. Like, you go through one tunnel, and suddenly you're in, like, this open plains area. Go through another tunnel, and it's, like, everything is made out of hands, and, like, it, so it's really easy to just kind of mix in the weird body horror stuff I like using. I may use that for a future stream. I don't know. We'll see. Let's see here. That's this one. For the players... Was there an enemy you wish you faced and a place you wish you went for your character? The one that like sticks out the most clearly to me because it kind of bothered me a little bit was eventually just getting to water deep and I believe we would have faced off against the ringmaster there. Yeah. But the way events played out, it, we didn't really... We kind of skipped the opportunity to do that. That's kind of the only major one I can think of. But then you could also argue... Well, no, I'm not sure, actually, but it, I felt something about when we fought Oblivion felt like that was, like, moderately optional, and I don't know why. So Oblivion was was created just through, like, a, a one-off mistake, right? Well, yeah, that's true, to be fair. And so that that is, like, a bit of the optional feel, but then I figured, like, it'd be really cool if there was, like, an enemy constantly trying to hunt people, which, just, once again, me trying to... Uh, <laughs> move the story uh, forward but I yeah with the ringmaster I had a whole story behind them and I was you know planning on you guys heading to Waterdeep but then I figured like I didn't want it to feel too railroady like uh, the first season I kind of had it a little bit on tracks not too much like there's still plenty of like whatever the players want to do they can go do like I did have like a story in mind kind of thing and after that, like the later seasons, it's like I had things I wanted the party to do. And so I would just shift them around based on what the party would do. So I had that kind of fork in the road of you all either going to the play and meeting Haster or going to Waterdeep and, you know, defeating the Ringmaster. So you kind of beat him in like the big war, but it wasn't like as satisfying. He was just kind of there. Yeah, he just became like an NPC, basically. But I even had, like, in Waterdeep, I had this big grand speech with him and stuff like that. And uh, there was a one of the one-shots we, we did where I had, like, a bunch of guests from other podcasts as well, all hail the Shining God, which I really liked. I actually introduced the Ringmaster. Uh, they went to, like, this noble's house because the noble wanted them, like, to go solve this grand puzzle. And then uh, they were talking about how they weren't feeling well. And then, like, the Ringmaster actually, like, was exploded out of their body. Had it scratch my desk. Are you kidding me? <laughs> These are the troubles I work through <laughs> for this podcast. Uh, but yeah, the, the ringmaster was like birthed that way, and I I really wanted to use him, but at the same time, I didn't want to like force everyone's hand kind of thing. And if you went towards Waterdeep too, the the cities, like the small towns, I mean, were going to be full of undead. So it's going to be kind of like you'd find adventurers that were like trying to clear out these undead, and some that were getting killed. I also even, well, there's like Bordon's home. When Bordon decided not to go home, I gave him like that, that forge stone that would let him travel back with the party and then come back here uh, to like, or come back to like the Forgotten Realms. When he said he wasn't going, I had like 30 pages written up about his home of like a great uh, celebration they would do for his arrival of like fighting the lich that was ruling over there and freeing his brother 
I I had this huge story and he's like, no, we're not gonna go there. And I was looking at it I was like, there's no way I can make the party go there right now. Yeah. Yeah, I hmm. It's just a hard balance thing because it felt like, I think what it was is that it felt like, oh, we don't have time to waste going there. And but it's like, how do you avoid that? Just because you gotta have like some impending stuff coming still, right? Right. And I think that's like with the Oh, that well, that's one of the questions. Why didn't you go to Bordon's home? Oh, uh, <laughs> the very next one. Because <laughs> <laughs> Umberto said no. <laughs> that's literally the only reason. Um, yeah, I, I, I was trying to like make this big impending doom because I love a, a good like world ender. Even in Rise of Milathotep, there's like a threat of something trying to eat the planet kind of thing. Um, but to like a lesser degree, I really tried to pull back compared to what I did with this campaign. Um, like, it's happening, but it's not like, you gotta get out there now or everyone's gonna die, which I really did in Ballad. So I think that, that definitely, like, pushed um, Umberto's thinking to, like, we gotta get going, we we don't have time to go to my home. Just to add one more thing, I think that's kind of like the type of characters we all played, is they're all, even though they're not necessarily from the Forgotten Realms, they just kind of instinctively just care about it, because it's like, this is a place with people. You know, if, if for no other reason. So it's not like they could just turn that off and just like, yeah, fuck it, we'll go do this instead. I think even like the closest to being like uncaring, I guess, shift between Ronnie and MZ. Like even MZ, Robert initially made him as like, uh, fuck it, if people die, excuse me, <laughs> if people die, they die. And near the end, he really had MZ like care and like he wanted to help people and he wanted to to save uh, save everything especially when he really we had that all hail prince mz arc where it's like all about him and his home i think that was like a really big uh change for when robert was role-playing mz yeah definitely that was i think one of our longest arcs uh was all hail prince mz it was a it was a cool one like theater of the mind wise because like it's like very sci-fi feeling at first and then it's like crazy out there world you know like my brain was just like firing like what does this look like i have no I, idea let's think of something there's dragons and everything <laughs> yeah. flying everywhere and like they're like oh we got like this horn of hell and the queen's a lich and it, like it was it's a really high level place <laughs> and i was like oh i'm sending them all there i think at like level eight or something and <laughs> yeah it was definitely extra fun that way yeah, it, it was really cool, and I finally got to justify why we called the Dungeons & Dragons. I was like, I gave him the Dungeoneers the dragons. It's a lot of dragons. <laughs> there was. But yeah, I, I loved that arc. I had a lot of fun. I think like that that is one of the arcs that I I was fine with it taking a while. And I, I just really wanted you all to kind of like get a feeling of MZ's home and what it's like. Like when he saw his family and they're like, you're coming to dinner. And he's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry yeah. guys, I gotta go see my mom. <laughs> and he's just like terrified because normally he was the badass, like fuck it, it's an abomination, let's go kill it. And he has to sit across like the dinner table from his mom. He's like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. Yeah, it was like an interesting going from we understand everything that's going on to like, no, oh, you guys really don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. So there's two here. Um so first is, how do I record those NPC scenes? I think they're asking if I scripted them or not. I, th I think that's the gist of the question, yeah. 
Yeah, the answer is no. I just went in with a general idea and I went all off the cuff. So all those NPC scenes, the only ones that are scripted are the ones with Dorum. And that's just because Michelle would prefer to have the lines for Dorum to uh, play them out. But every other scene you heard uh, would just be me. Essentially, I sit down, I try to think of an NPC or a situation relating to what's going on with the story. And then I just wing it and keep whatever I had. Sometimes trim little bits out here and there, but like, uh, yeah, I just, I just like roll with it. And uh, just to cover the other angle of what they might be asking, uh, Lucas just likes talking to himself sometimes. So he actually talks to himself with different characters. Hundred <laughs> percent. Even before I did this podcast, sitting there making dinner, doing these voices, Michelle banned certain voices in the house. <laughs> I can't do the Bernard one uh, in the household because it annoys me. I love Bernard, though. Bernard I is, know. Bernard will always be my favorite. That voice is outrageous. I based that voice off the the Red Devil from Cow and Chicken, the red guy who bounced yeah. on his ass. I, re- and, I remember that show fondly. Yeah, so I when I saw that, because when I was making that character, I was drunk <laughs> at Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was sitting there, uh, we were at like our Airbnb... I was with Dave for Orbs uh, and his uh, wife, Deidre, as well as uh, Jeremy from Midnight Kingdoms and Michelle. And we were drinking, and Dave was trying not to... I think Dave was trying not to get drunk because Dave was, like, handling all the recording equipment. But me and Jeremy, we definitely got drunk. <laughs> we just kept, kept grabbing, like, more and more beer. There was actually a line that Dave didn't keep, and I think it's because we fucked the audio so much. But uh, I I pulled out a, a shoebox, and I had two elastic bands over it, and I sang a song with this this shoebox lute uh, about Dave the barkeeper and how we loved him. And uh, <laughs> we were all laughing so hard through the whole thing, and yeah... Uh, it was so hard for him to clean that audio too, because we keep making shitty little comments while he was trying to like describe the scene, <laughs> or like just like joking around. It was it was good. See, that is a prime example of like just just have fun doing it. That's where all the best shit comes from. Oh yeah, that's like all our Christmas specials. I'd always invite people, and I'm like, like oh, so like how how kind of series do you want the tone? I'm like, I don't fucking care. It's Christmas. I'm just going, I'm like, here's your rules. And that's why we got things like T.I. Saves Christmas or... What was the, the one someone did like a high-pitched voice elf or something? Mm. That it's one Seth. killed me. Seth fucking killed me towards the end of that episode. It was just too much. He's so good. He's such a good voice actor. Um, he He's a GM of Cheaper by the Dungeons. And... I think they're on like indefinite hiatus. I'm not sure if they're coming back, but Seth is so talented. He he ran Bangamans too, the the charity bowling. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun when we participated in that one. Yeah, lots of wonky antics for sure. <laughs> we we played our characters on drugs, pretty much. So at the very end, uh, I didn't understand the scene with Dorum. What happened? Fair enough. When me and Michelle thought up, like, Dorham's whole story in the very beginning, we always, like, it was always planned that Dorham was going to die, right? And Matthews has a secret mission. Oh, secret mission. Uh, and that's why Matthews, like, you know, 
uh, was talking about how he was like helping gather the party and kept leading them along, that kind of stuff. Um, he didn't help as much as he did. He just wanted to sound self-important. You know, the party did a lot of it on their own. But Matthews uh, has has like a, a mission, which I'm sure one day I'll do a one-shot to actually explain. But I want a little bit of mystery around him still. But essentially, he, he has a very important mission and needs to collect people. And so uh, Dorm was one of the people that he had to collect. And so he was just waiting for her to die. And so she died, and he collected her. The soul, that is. That's why you hear a reverb on Michelle's voice. <laughs> yeah, this is the question that really made me think a lot, uh, where they just called me out. It seems like the players were always being pushed by danger. <laughs> there was a reason. That, was there a reason that there wasn't a lot of downtime? Also, as a player, how is it playing in a campaign always pushing forward? So I just... I would say shout out to whoever asked this question, like, full savage, but also you hit the nail on the head, because it, it was, like, a pretty big thing. Yeah, common for me. Jesus. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, I I would say it's, like, 90% positive, because I get really bored when you're just sitting around role-playing a lot, and I, I just can't focus on that. So, for, for me personally, it was kind of good. Um... There's just the odd time to just be like slightly frustrating. It's like, oh man, I wanted to do this, but I didn't get the chance. Shit. Uh, but there weren't too many of those moments, really. I think mm -hmm. there's only like, like I said earlier about the ringmaster. I think that's kind of the only thing that I kind of wish we got to do. It was like just like one more little arc. Yeah. Um, and maybe a little more time in Haymore, but I mean, it was interesting as it was. I had to write a whole goddamn audio drama because you guys skipped Haymore. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you were you. I rewarded you for your creativity because it was a smart idea to to bust into the the king's treasury. I thought you were gonna like go to the city or like even the outskirts of the city, and I had a whole thing where Drax here was gonna help incite a rebellion against the king, and you were gonna see what was happening of like the magic being drained from the harp, and. So, like, uh, essentially what happened in the audio drama was the adventure I wrote for Haymore um, with uh, all, all those wonderful characters were NPCs that I had the party was going to meet. Um, and so, because you were all really creative and you <laughs> you skipped over that, I was like, well, it's like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's no explanation why that king has the harp or anything. So, to add on, like, a funny little point... Um... So Lucas kind of said when we were going into like all that revisiting home stuff, uh, you said something like, "Time passes differently when you're when you leave and go to different realms, right?" Like that was kind of a common theme for all those places we went to. Yeah, yeah. Like when you were at MZ's home, uh, time was really slowed, uh, for instance. So even though you told us that. I feel like we're so we were so cynical by that point. We were like, "Fuck, we're just gonna make shit go down faster. Everything's gonna blow up while we're gone. We don't have time to spare." I actually think that's partly what happened, even though you meant it like the opposite way. Like, you have time to flesh stuff out. Just play the game, okay? We're like, yeah. "Oh, fuck no." <laughs> that was a hundred. I was like, essentially saying, "All of your homes, you have a lot more time hanging out here because you can explore it." That's why, like, when you came back from Enzi's home world, they're like, "How long's it been?" And I was like hour it's like That's i was gone for four days <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I was like, see, look what's happening. And you're all like, no, that was a fucking hour too long. <laughs> gotta go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and I knew at that point when I kept seeing like the party just like forging forward, I was like, I did this. <laughs> I set them up like this. Yeah, and there was like, I also set it up that you all didn't trust any NPCs because I did make backstabby NPCs mm-hmm. uh, keep showing up. Like, the flesh, uh, the fucking flesh suit thing. Yeah, Giles. Giles showing I up was... all the time. I, I had uh, that happen, and I. Yeah, I realized, like, near the end, I was like, oh, they won't trust anyone. I Even if I had someone come in here and be like, hey, guys, I'm on your side. I got some information. You'll be like, fucking tie him up. <laughs> What's get the up password? The burning iron. Yeah. 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 We need. We almost needed like a whole verification process. Like, yeah. Did you bring your SSL certificate to this conversation? Because <laughs> I don't know who you are. I'm getting some warning just entering this room. <laughs> I yeah. I because when I wrote the campaign, the whole idea was to have everyone be very like oh, we got to do this, like, it's this big impending doom. And then I, I didn't think it out fully of what that would do to the story, which the story was still good. I, I love how it turned out. I, you know, I'm, I just kind of wish I had a little bit of downtime moments, but it's just how the story went, that's all. But all in all, I, I was very proud of what we, what we accomplished, and we finished a campaign. How many can say that? That's true. So I had a couple couple questions. This was so this one's for you, Jason. Uh, what was one of the favorite moments with Draxir? There's two that stick out. The one like is kind of like a oh my god, did we really do that? A moment was the like the Death Blender. I couldn't fucking oh, believe man. that we actually worked together that well. And it, basically, flaw, a flawless victory, like a whole somewhat difficult encounter like just boom i had so many enemies i guess it wasn't it wasn't super difficult but there's like a lot of enemies to deal with and we we're just like no we're just gonna blend them they couldn't do any attacks they couldn't cast spells and you just kept like att- like hurting them as they were yeah. going and <laughs> drowning the ones back there like it was supposed to be the whole mission was supposed to be a stealth one where you sneak in see what's happening like oh fuck and then you go out like we gotta go and we'll we'll alert the guards and they'll help (laughs) the best the best part is that whole thing started because ronnie's like i'm going to uh thunder wave the ocean and Mm, see if mm -hmm. i get some fish or something like that and he killed a a deep one that ended up like floating on the surface and i know and and but it was like at the point where i remember specifically like humberto was so done with ronnie it's like (laughs) He was about to interject, oh, and he's yeah. like, you know what? Just do it. <laughs> and then it worked he, out. <laughs> he blew up the door. Umberto blew up the door. He's like, fuck it. I don't even care anymore. Uh, yeah. Guiding bolt on their door. I'm like, what? <laughs> so this is a stealth mission. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. When did Draxir get to make the deal with Nostradamus Corp to like, pick up his family? Oh, yeah. I'm drawing a blank. That would be the other one, though, because it's kind of like that was sort of like his utmost responsibility. So it was kind of yeah. cool that, like, he actually did a good job of that. That's when did that? So you had a couple times talking to Nostradamus. So there was the the bird that blew up. That was them telling the, that you, they successfully got your family. Oh, it was because I remember Amberta making the comment, like, oh, I I go see my family yeah. and. 
and they're suffering and dying. <laughs> Meanwhile, Drax here gets a call with, oh, you got the job. Yeah, <laughs> okay. That's pretty... <laughs> I remember that. That was the first meeting. It wasn't that time. I think it would have been the next meeting. I think that might have been... Oh, so ST3v3 in the dream. You spoke to ST3v3, and right. it was like a dream sequence. I was trying to get you to use the Dream Anteater. Nobody would use that book. The Book of Friends? That thing scared the shit out of me. I thought I was going to unleash, like, new horrors into the world if I used it. I gave that to Evan. At, like, right when Draxir joined the group. So Evan got it then. Yeah. And I reminded him, like, eight times. Remember that book? Remember that book you got? He's like, yeah, for sure. And he never used it. He kept forgetting every time. I was like, this is, like a chaos book please use it it was funny though uh, when it, it finally came up because his <laughs> cloney died yeah that long con too of cloney oh my god so listeners the players didn't know when the players found out about cloney that was real time about them finding out that that was actually happening like when jason's character like draxer was dying in mz's home and he's like why won't ronnie fucking heal me <laughs> Like, let's just use cure wounds. And he's like, uh, and tries to heal check and rolls like a one. And I had to, I remember messaging you saying like, well, there's a reason Ronnie can't heal you right now. And it's because his character was a rogue. And so he had zero healing capabilities. Yeah, I I got kind of confused with what you meant at that time. So I was like, what, wait, what the fuck happened? Did I just miss something? But yeah, that was, uh. It worked out perfectly because Ronnie is the type where he doesn't care about really any... Well, okay, I'm being a little harsh. I don't think he cared too much about helping, except when it was absolutely necessary. Yeah. So it it just works perfectly where it's like, oh yeah, there's this guy who's kind of useless and not helping. It's like, well, Ronnie wouldn't care to anyways, so is there mm-hmm. a huge difference? I don't know. <laughs> he kept dropping hints and he kept thinking he was going to get found out. Like, there was uh, the time when you all asked him to use his powers to, like, warp you somewhere, and he just used a, a scroll of precipitation to make, like, a poof of smoke and, like, rolled really badly, and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? And, like, I really thought he was found out, but then Bordon went and said, like, something, I think it was Bordon said, like, oh, his powers must be, like, out of whack or something, like, something must have happened to him. And Evan's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, what a save. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Humberto kind of covered for him. Yeah, because he's just like, it's Ronnie, fucking whatever. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, he slipped under the radar. It was, whenever he stepped out, it was like perfect timing though, because we went from like, I saw Ronnie do something helpful to... Oh, Ronnie hasn't done something helpful in a while, but that's kind of par for the course. And it didn't yeah. seem like there was like an obvious time where he just kind of went poof. And the character was like a, a pickpocket and a thief, and it's just like a like a useless individual. He's like, I want this guy to be like worse than Ronnie, and so I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. So that was that. Cloney was a uh, real time for everyone. Uh, I guess we kind of already talked about this. What do you think about the finale and wrapping up our story? I think we kind of discussed that one already um more or less like like the other question how do you feel about the ending for your character um yeah but i guess like more from like a general sense um 
it, it's always one of those things like i think when you finish a campaign or like a game like it's like well i guess the most relatable thing for music video games i never finished a DD campaign before this either mm. uh, but you know like that bittersweet feeling where it's like fuck yeah i beat the game and it's like oh i beat the game and you're like kind of sad because you don't have a game anymore because you're yeah. done with it. it it's it's pretty much just exactly like that i think maybe a little bit more so like in that in the heavy feeling environment because mm-hmm. you commit way more time to D and like more thought than most video games and you you put like a little bit of yourself in your character and like you know you as you grow them you're even like learning a bit about yourself like that kind of stuff and yeah but for like at the, on that same token like to me like draxer still exists like if I wanted to just like poof him into a game somewhere down the road, like I don't think it would be like too crazy, right? Because of the way mm. the world's set up. Yeah, uh, the Nostradamus Corporation is a fucking wild place to work. Yeah, <laughs> set up uh, clone sleeves and everything for people. Draxier is God knows how old, but is still just you know working on things. Yeah, like it's feasible that he would achieve like immortality or like just to become like a really old cyborg or something somehow. Yeah, if he wanted yeah. to. Uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty happy when he went to go to the Nostradamus Corporation because it's like, oh, I can use that sweet. <laughs> Just tie it in with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Did you have any any questions about the ending, about the story itself? Is there anything that stood out? Any any theories you had that didn't that didn't uh, land? The biggest theory I had uh, that was wrong was I think I had the. I guess like the the finale event roles of Dorham and Matthews reversed. I thought for sure Matthews was more like an embodiment of the Shining God than Dorham was. I don't know why I thought that, but oh, well, Matthews presented himself as like kind of like an ultimate power that the party had to overcome, right? Like a big yeah. hurdle, especially for Kelsar. Kelsar was so fixated on Matthews, and so like having him there, he. uh he definitely kind of like embodied like I'm I'm one of the major forces of the the enemy so I can definitely see why you would think he would be you know some some kind of like embodiment like that with Dorum the whole thing with her is like the shining god she essentially made the shining god up and how gods work is like the more worship and praise and everything they get like it, it accumulates powers and eventually they come into being and so she was the messiah the shining god and she was using it as like a front to gather people and people kept worshipping the shining god so eventually she essentially had the shining god in her so it was like two sides of the same coin kind of thing see I might have just zoned out for some details but that was like a lore drop for me I didn't I didn't really think Dorm made it up. I thought it was like a pre-existing. I, I don't think Dorm I actually. Like... Oh, I don't know if I ever talked about oh. that. Yeah. So, because <laughs> the, the whole, so the war, like, uh, essentially was going on for like, I think I was saying like thirty or forty years before the character showed up, and so like you were all. The whole point was that you were at the tail end of the war. That explains why you're able to accomplish this in a few months, and you were like dealing with Dorm and all that. But Dorm had like all this story this history like Dorm was there like pretty much since the beginning because she was born here she's born in this world she's fighting creatures she's the one who woke up azathoth in the audio drama we did with the sacred flame 
they they went and they collected the instruments. They're the ones who woke Azathoth up. Because, like, Matthews was tricking them. And so, essentially, Dorum, when she came into power, she was afraid of the gods, and so she, she had gone mad from Azathoth. And she was, like, trying to think of, like, I need to destroy the gods. I need to kill all of them so that we could be free. And... Uh, she was like god fearing and so she started coming up with this idea of like there must be a creature out there something out there that could eat all the gods that could just kill them so she came up with the shining god and started like you know spouting and, and prophesizing about this and as Doran was finally kind of like regaining her senses um, you know further into the war uh, she started to like oh like uh, I was kind of making this up but everybody's already worshipping it and it was a really powerful force so why not use religion? And I took my own jaded uh, experiences to Christianity, and <laughs> I rolled with it, creating the Church of the Shining God. And yeah, that's that's essentially how that that came to being. And so, the when Dorum died, essentially you you killed Dorum partway through that battle, and then she like exploded, and the Shining God was uh, born into the world because it was no longer contained inside a vessel. And then you were. You were fighting this newborn god, so that's why like you were able to kill it. But and I guess the other like closely related thing is I thought for sure you were going to do like a bit of a red herring thing, like Dorm isn't actually our ultimate enemy; it's actually this. And I thought that actually this part was going to be either Azathoth or. I had a couple other options and the, the other one that like stuck out the most was like somehow like a story it would be like a turncoat somehow or something mm-hmm well, obviously neither of those came to pass either or there'd be some new unnamed entity that would come out of the shadows and be like guess what I've been doing this behind the scenes yeah uh, you know uh, Thorum's been the only one keeping you safe I originally had it that Dorum was going to die before the final fight mm. uh, when I first wrote the campaign and then I changed it I think I think around like the Arkham arc I decided against it but essentially Dorum was supposed to like die bringing Azathoth into the world and like uh, letting Azathoth in so they would you, like the party would show up and Dorum would already be dead and they'd be like what the fuck like Dorum's gone and then they would have to fight an aspect of Azathoth but the more I thought about it, I was like, it's, I liked it more that Azathoth was like, you can't kill this. You can't even touch this. The best you can do is just put it the fuck back to bed. Because <laughs> if you tried to fight it, it would just consume your being. Like, it's, it consumes planets. There's no way that, you know, your sweet-ass sword and a couple spells will be able to push it back. And, like, um, so this is going to be, like, a little bit of a reach here. But I like, I really like that more. Because the only, like, when you let, if you were to let us, like, fight and kill Azathoth or some version of Azathoth, I think the only way to make that interesting is if you do it like Path of Exile does. And it's like, you've literally killed Eldritch Gods, sort of, like, like the Shaper and Elder and whatnot from mm-hmm. from that game. Um, but then they, like, kind of guilt you about it. Like, when will you stop pursuing stuff in the Atlas, you know? So it's kind of oh, like, yeah. it's kind of like almost maybe like you've become the monster. Like that'd kind of be the only way I feel that that would be interesting. Because otherwise, it's like, oh yeah, you you killed God, congrats. 
Yeah, essentially it kind of like it's empty almost. It's like yeah. an empty victory. Like we did it. We did what we wanted to do, but like you know, how was that possible? How how are we able to achieve that? And so like my my big goal for that was to just really really drive home that there are some things out there that you just can't kill. Doesn't matter how strong you get. It's just you're not going to win. And that's that was the big one that I wanted to drive home was that every time that Asatoth was shown or like there was a glimmer of it, even when you met Haster, Haster was like the size of a mountain sitting on a throne. And it was like that kind of like understanding like that we can't stop them. Yeah. We're we're essentially playing their game and we have to play it so that we survive on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a, a, a sense of like actual deity to it that way. Yeah. I think when D&D hits like that epic level, it has that that issue of like we can do anything. Like where's the limit? And your character just kind of it loses a little bit of sense of self, sense of being because then it just becomes more statistics of like what are you going to destroy next? I guess kind of like what you're saying, like where when does it stop? Yeah. I mean like it gets ridiculous at some extent like with D&D mechanically because when Draxer gets to level 20 he gets like a, this new uh, like class feature that gives him basically a plus one for each attuned item. This is going into like D&D mechanics, I guess. But like, and you can attune up to six different things. So between that and Flash of Genius, I get a plus 11 to literally any role ever. And then that's yeah. not even counting like your actual attributes or proficiency. So it just, it just gets stupid. Like how do you fail a role? Like it just gets insane. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's why we had it end at like level thirteen or fourteen. I think we were, I think we got to fifteen actually. Did you? I okay. think so. I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good spot to like saving the world level fifteen. I don't even know if the randos are gonna get that high. I think the randos might get like to level thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, but I, th- I think that sounds about right. But those are uh, those are the questions we had. And I, I hope you're all excited for the, the next campaign. I am going to be recording a, uh, a chat with Michaela. We'll be uploading that hopefully within a, a week or two, explaining what the new campaign is going to be like. And because there's, there's a lot of uh, fun details, but we're also going to have like a Twitch and YouTube version where I'm doing a boatload of art. So <laughs> please watch it. Please subscribe to our YouTube. <laughs> it helps me. Uh, not only my confidence, but it just helps me uh, get our YouTube out there. Smash that like and subscribe. Well, thank you for joining me, Jason. Yeah, uh, thanks for having the whole campaign and for the Q&A thing here. It was really fun. Yeah, uh, it was a, a blast to the past. I had a lot of fun, and thank you for sticking with this, uh, this very long game. Seeing it through to the end. Yeah, and thanks for listening, everyone that listens to the Q&A. We hope you enjoyed our tale, The Ballad of the Chosen Few, and the next campaign that will be coming out later this month, at the end of the month, it will be called Escaping Carcosa. So look forward to that. All right, dear travelers, until next time, bid you all adieu.